It's Mental Health Awareness Month. As we've discussed a lot on this show, children and teens have faced greater challenges during the pandemic, and families have struggled to find the help that their kids need. Illinois parents have far too often faced the additional obstacles of a system that is inefficient, confusing, and difficult to navigate. That's Governor J.B. Pritzker recently describing the health system for Illinois children. In March, he unveiled a plan to make it easier for families to access holistic wraparound support. It's called the Children's Behavioral Health Transformation Initiative, and it builds on the Prisker administration's increased funding for child welfare and well-being. Dana Weiner is the director of that effort, and she joins us now. Hi, Dana. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Congrats on the new role. Thank you. It's exciting. How are you feeling about leading this initiative? You know, I am up for this. I am excited to join the Pritzker administration's efforts to affect meaningful change here. And in this role, I'm focused on building a coordinated response among state agencies to better support children with behavioral health needs. I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but for the last 22 years, I've been working with public systems, child welfare, juvenile justice, and others on using data to guide the implementation and evaluation of programs and initiatives. So it I think it puts me in a good position to be able to observe and analyze and plan for change here in Illinois. And you're based at uh, Chapin Hall at the University of Chicago, where you uh, provided child welfare policy guidance and analysis for jurisdictions across the U.S. What does your research show about the needs of kids in Illinois who require behavioral health services? So... What's happened with our system is that over time, it's contracted at the front end with reductions to prevention services, as well as at the deep end with reductions to residential beds for kids who need them. So this means that right now, everyone is kind of stuck in the middle. And without that full continuum of services, we're less able to meet people where they're at with the services they need. How effective are the systems that support the most vulnerable teens and adolescents in Illinois? You know, that's a good question. I I think we can make it easier for families to access these services and supports. I I think right now part of the problem is that our system is so difficult to navigate, and it's hard to actually get people to the resources that they need. So we can rely on many of the assets in our current system, people who are committed, programs that are effective, communities that are um, strong and dedicated to children and families, and some pockets of innovation. Um, And we can rely on those assets to improve the services and supports for kids with significant and complex behavioral health challenges. What do you think is behind this issue, Dana? You've talked about how families who need services for their kids, they lack consistent and and transparent solutions. Why is that? Yeah, so... So there are tangled pathways, but I think we're kind of, we kind of have a perfect storm of problems because we have a surge in demand for behavioral health care for children. As we've all seen, there have been um, kind of unprecedented increases in the need for mental health services, given the increase in mental health problems and issues among kids. At the same time that we're having a workforce shortage, which impacts the human service system, just like it's impacting every other system. So I think we have to, there, there are both there are both technical and adaptive solutions to this problem. Mm-hmm. The technical solutions are things like tools, like building a portal for parents to access and clear information. The adaptive challenges require that everyone in the system 
change the way they think about their role. And that really means getting upstream of some of these, of some of the problems we're seeing. So improving the ability of pediatricians and teachers and community members to recognize the problems that children and adolescents are struggling with and be more informed and aware about what the potential strategies are for addressing those. Yeah. Well, how does this initiative plan on addressing some of these problems? So, as I said, the goals of this initiative are that young people with significant behavioral health needs get the services that they need and that parents and guardians and family members can navigate the system. So to do that, we are working across the six child-serving state agencies, and that includes DCFS, HFS, DHS, ISB, DJJ, and DPH. I'm using a lot of acronyms yes. <laughs> to spell all of those out. Can you, can you um, spell those out for us? Oh, sure. The Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, uh, the Department of Human Services, um, H HFS is a state Medicaid agency, Illinois State Board of Education is ISBE, um, IDPH is the Department of Public Health, and uh, the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice. So we have representatives from all of those agencies at the table, and we're really working together to expedite the placements for kids who are currently in need of services, but also to develop solutions. So to do that, we, I proposed a plan that has kind of three aspects to it. The first is coordination, and that's working with those six agencies to secure services and supports and placements mm -hmm. for kids who need them. And this is really happening with an unprecedented degree of interagency collaboration in the context of regular meetings on the status of cases, but also real cooperation in identifying and overcoming barriers, which I think is, is very promising. The second thing that I proposed was a set of analytic strategies to better understand where our capacity shortfalls are, what do we need more of and where, to untangle some of the processes for accessing care, and to understand where our laws and policies and rules are misaligned so that we can recommend changes to those um, in order that people can receive the services they need. So, and then the third piece is planning. So at the end of the year, I'll, develop, I'll deliver a blueprint for transformation to the governor's office, which will be a detailed plan to ensure that these new ideas actually come to fruition in ways that change the reality experienced by children and families. So in talking about that partnership, you mentioned the Department of Children and Family Services the announcement of this new initiative actually comes as the agency's director, Mark Smith, has been held in contempt of court seven times since January for failing to place children and teens in, in violation of court orders in proper homes. And the agency's also been dealing with staffing shortages at all levels. So how do you hope that your new initiative is going to help with issues like these? Yeah, so, uh, of course, I can't speak to the specifics of those cases, but I, I will say that kids getting stuck in the hospital is a symptom of our larger system shortcomings that were created over a number of years under prior administrations. And so our work to adjust capacity in addition to adjust capacity for residential beds where they're needed, but also to get upstream of problems will have a positive impact on service accessibility for all kids, and that includes those that require hospitalization. Yeah. And as you talked about the goal of the initiative, Dana, it, it's to really create a transformation blueprint by the end of this year. So what would a successful plan and a successful course of action look like to you? Yeah. So I, I, 
I actually have thought a lot about, you know, what are the what are the short-term goals? We know what the long-term goals are, that everyone gets the services they need, that the system is, is able to be navigated by families. I think I think some of the shorter-term outcomes we're looking for are reduced wait times for placement and services, a reduction in the voluntary relinquishment of parental rights in order that services be paid for, and a reduction in the frustration among parents who are trying to meet the needs of their kids. So I, I think we would look to some of those short-term outcomes to see that we're moving in the right direction. But I think at the end of the day, we hope to see a system where everybody is aware not only of what resources are available, but when to intervene so that we're not, um, we're not kind of, uh, we're not hamstrung by our ability to provide services all along the continuum such that we are intervening in these crisis cases. We really want to be able to give kids what they need at any point when they're struggling. You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that's Dana Weiner, who is director of Illinois' Children's Behavioral Health Transformation Initiative. And we're talking about the new statewide initiative to improve services and support for the most vulnerable kids and teens. Thanks for your time, Dana. Thanks for having me. Let's turn now to a child development expert at Erickson Institute. On the line with us now is Sarah Anderson, Associate Director of the Center for Children and Families. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me here. I want to get your thoughts, Sarah. I know you've been listening along. So tell us what you think about the new statewide initiative are you hopeful that this effort is going to improve services for, for kids and their families? I am hopeful. I, I think that there is something something needs to be done. I think that we know that for children and families that are involved in other systems of care like child protection or the public school system, it's still very challenging and confusing to get the services that they need. And I think, um, as Dana mentioned, we know that there's long wait times, and I think you mentioned uh, that there are some contributing factors to that um, agencies, capacity, staffing, um, but we know that something needs to be done in order to serve the, the increased need for young children mental health services. Well, let's dig into that a little bit more, Sarah. Talk more about the challenges, especially ones that you're hearing from families that you serve at your center. Yeah, so children are, you know, exhibiting many mental health challenges and needs, and I think during the pandemic we have seen a rise in these needs or I would say a rise in caregivers and families seeking services. And I think it's partially because of the disruptions of predictability and routines and social engagement because of the pandemic, um, as well as a rise in fear and anxiety um, due to COVID-19 that Mm -hmm. children, caregivers, teachers, care providers, everybody is experiencing. And also I would say partially because children are spending more time at home and with their caregivers who are now witnessing and experiencing their child's struggle maybe daily or firsthand. So at the children, uh, the Center for Children and Families, we specialize in seeing young children eight years old and under um, and their caregivers for parent-child therapy as well as uh, parental guidance and support. And we have been seeing a lot of um, children with high levels of anxiety, adjustment disorders, exhibiting symptoms of depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. other trauma-related diagnoses, or um, children that may be experiencing some parent-child relationship attachment. And, and help, us, help us understand, what does that look like in an eight-year-old? Anxiety. Yeah. 
So I would say for, for, for an eight-year-old who's a little more verbal, it could be that a child is, is telling us, is, is exhibiting and sharing with us their fears, their worries related to um, some anxiety, or that there's been a change in behavior, that this is a child that typically is engaging and a robust and now is a little more withdrawn. Um, I would say for young children in general, we really want to look at their behavior. So one is, is there a change in behavior? Um, has a child had kind of a drastic change or over several weeks have you seen changes in their behavior? Is there an uptick in their emotions? So we know that children exhibit uh, many of these things either by uh, becoming very externalized and having more meltdowns or more um, things coming up in their treatment mm -hmm. or in, in, in their lives, or they're withdrawn. So at what point would you say a parent should seek help? I would say that when they're seeing those changes in behavior is probably beyond um, two to three weeks, and that they have um, tried the things that they're always trying. When you so, get the idea that it's more than just one bad day or a couple yeah. of bad days. And that those typical interventions that you, you use are no longer working. From your perspective, how well has Illinois addressed the mental health needs of, of kids? Yeah, I mean, I would say that across the state and what we are seeing in, um, uh, particularly with children and child welfare, um, that maybe we haven't done the best job. Um, and I think that it is, in larger systems, it is hard to... Um, respond in this more kind of proactive approach, right? So I, I think Dana mentioned thinking about when children get to a place where they're in crisis and we're talking about hospitalization. Well, we know that if we intervene early, mm -hmm. that is key at better serving young children um, and children that are the most vulnerable. And, and I think the research is clear that we either pay for it now or we pay for it later. And so I think there, there's a lot of work to be done to how do we intervene early and how do we intervene, you know, mental health and social emotional development are just part, an important part of development, just like speech, just like gross motor. It's the foundation to emotional regulation and social skills and relationships and all other areas of life. So yeah. um, we know that loss and trauma disrupts that. And so mental health supports can provide the space to process as well as to restore the safety and security children need to continue to grow, develop, function, and be successful in the world. So we need to do a better job at intervening early and intervening in a meaningful way that's going to set children and families up for success. What else should we know about the work that the Erickson Institute is doing to help? We, we are here serving families. We see... Um, all kinds of families walk through our door um, looking for services because of either a, a child's behavior or being referred by their child's school or daycare um, pediatrician or things like that. So we are here and we are available. We are wanting to make ourselves more available in the community. We have um, recently opened a um, office in the Little Village community, and so we are also are expanding our services to other communities in the city of Chicago, as well as being sure that we have staff um, who speak Spanish or and are bilingual to provide services in home language. I feel like that those are some of the barriers to receiving mental health services is location, language, accessibility. 
Um, we also partner, the Center for Children and Families also partners with the Department of Family and Support Services to provide some consultation and support to Head Start and Early Head Start centers around identifying children's developmental needs, social-emotional needs, and being sure that we get those children um, into the services that they need. As uh, we mentioned when I was talking with uh, Dana Weiner, the state leaders are, are delivering a, quote, transformation blueprint here, right, for, for children's behavioral health services, and they're trying to do so by the end of the year. Anything else that you would like to see included in that plan? It's a great question. I mean, I, I, I think really thinking about how do we meet the needs of the youngest and the most vulnerable um, and I think just highlighting what I said before around um, pro being proactive and having a, uh, a responsive or a tiered approach. Well, you know, as we emerge from this pandemic, I wonder what you could say to those listening, you know, about what we should pay attention to when it comes to children's mental health right now. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would say for young children, what we know is that relationships are key. And for caregivers and those that are uh, um, primary caregivers or, or, or working with young children, um, who you are and, and just your, um, your time with young children and your relationship with them matters and helps them, um, you know, just your proximity and being present will allow young children to um, feel safe, to feel secure, and hopefully be able to process all of these changes. As we're emerging from the pandemic, I think what we're all experiencing is what, what does this look like? What does this mean? How does it feel to be back in our workplaces, to be commuting, to be back in the school, to be wearing masks or not be wearing masks? Where do we? And so I think the other thing that I would say is that Naming these changes, naming what's happening, and naming some of the feelings that are associated with it mm -hmm. can be so powerful, especially for the youngest of children who don't have the language skills or ability to put things together. They're paying attention. They're feeling it. They're seeing it. But they can't always make sense of it. And so as the adults in their lives, narrating and um, making sense of it for them and giving them a space to maybe ask questions or share how they're feeling with you is, is a powerful tool. That's Sarah Anderson with the Center for Children and Families at Erickson Institute. Thank you for your time, Sarah. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.